I was on vacation the last two weeks. <laughs> Found my binder, everything's good, amen, go home. All right. So this kid, thanks, Jeff. Uh, uh, so this kid, I thought I was a little quiet. I was speaking louder. I can calm down. Sorry, dude. Um, I don't know what's going on now. Oh, so this kid walks up, and he's looking for the perfect binder, and he can't just pick one. It's got to be like the perfect design, the perfect thing. And she looks at me, and she's like, this is absurd. Just pick a binder. We start commiserating and laughing about the whole thing. Well, at the end of all of this, she's done. I've still got like all the stuff I have to buy, and I just look like a deer in headlights there. Uh, and she looks at me, and she says, listen, did you see that line at the beginning? I said, yeah. She goes, that's nuts. You know here in this section, they have a guy who will check you out, and there is no line. Did you know this? At Walmart, they have like people hidden, I guess. Uh, with like the secret checkout places you go to them you get out you don't have to stand in line at all i was in and i was out it was wonderful that woman was my savior she was great she showed me the right way to leave and i didn't have to stand in the line at all it was wonderful uh, i'm going to come back and talk about her in a little bit here but this just gets you the idea that it's school time time to go school supply shopping and i you know i love back to school time i actually miss going back to school. I loved going to school, at least, you know, I think I romanticized it a little bit in my head. I probably wouldn't have said this 20 years ago. But I do look back on that fondly, wanting to go and sit at the feet of a great teacher. Right, you have somebody who teaches you, very knowledgeable, who helps you understand the true and the good and the beautiful in this world. 
A great teacher who will help you sort of dig into the what's and the why's of the universe and help expand your mind and consider a variety of possibilities and make you think excitedly about the future. Yeah, I know I romanticize it a bit, but if you get a great teacher on a subject that you are passionate about, school can be great. It can be a lot of fun. I was thinking about teachers this week and everybody going back to school, and thank God for all of you teachers out there and the incredible work that you do for us, for our kids. But I was thinking about teachers this last week, and I was thinking about Jesus as a teacher. Because as we come to our reading today, we find that Jesus is going around and he's doing a lot of teaching. And I know we all hear that Jesus teaches, and we all think to ourselves, boy, wouldn't that have been wonderful? Wouldn't it have been amazing to sit at the feet of the greatest teacher in the history of the world and to learn from him, to be enlightened by him? But I got to tell you, I don't know if having Jesus as a teacher would have been all that comfortable i don't know if it would have been all that fun it may have been a little scary in fact i mean if we've been paying attention to the gospel of luke you will notice that throughout this gospel jesus is doing a lot of teaching and throughout the gospel a number of times people will raise their hand with a comment or a question for the teacher to get his insight and the way he responds to them is sort of is sort of shall we say threatening a little scared I mean, look at this story today. Here's Jesus talking and teaching. There's this big crowd around him. And one guy raises his hand and he asks a very important question. A question I would venture to guess that many of you have asked as well. If you've ever thought about God and salvation and, and heaven and hell and the Bible and all of these things. This may be a question that you have wrestled with. The man raises his hand and he says, Lord, will those who are few, excuse me, will those who are saved be few? You ever wonder about that one? Who will be saved? How many will be saved? Who is in and who is out? Now, this is a question we wrestle with, but I want you to notice real quickly here how the man asks the question today. He asks it, we can say it this way, in the third person, in a very academic way. He's not asking, will I be saved? He's not asking, will my loved ones be saved? He's asking, will the number who are saved be few? It's very academic and therefore very safe. It's actually a question that the Jews wrestled with a lot in their day. The Jews in Jesus' day, we know, were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for a Savior, a King to come and drive out their enemies. And they wanted to know when the Savior showed up, who would be saved and which people would be saved. They knew it was the Jews who were the focus of salvation. The Gentiles were already out. But within the Jewish community, there were all kinds of factions. You have Pharisees and Sadducees and Essenes and Zealots and all these different kinds of people. So they wanted to know who among the Jews would be saved. Will it be all of us or will it just be a few of us? What about those who are unclean? What about those who spend time among the Gentiles? Will they be treated like the Gentiles? Will they be kicked out? Who is in and who is out? Jesus, what is your view on this? What are your opinions? It's a, it's a safe question, big and important question, but asked in a very impersonal way. He's acting like he's a student in, you know, Mr. Christ's third period salvation class or something like this. And he's going to ask Jesus his opinion. Asking about a, sort of the, the salvation inquiry. But he does this, again, in such a safe way because what he can do now is he can get Jesus' view, Jesus' perspective, and he can compare it with all the other rabbis, and then he can arrive at his own conclusions, and he can come to his own information and make his own decisions. You see, the way he asks Jesus this question keeps him in charge. 
keeps him in control. But you're not dealing with Mr. Christ in the classroom here. You're dealing with Jesus, who is God in flesh. And Jesus, you see, is not someone who has a viewpoint on who is in and who is out. Jesus does not have a viewpoint on anything. He is the one by whom and through whom and for whom all things exist. He's the Lord of creation. He is the judge. He's the door through which you must enter if you want to go into the kingdom of God. He doesn't have a perspective. It's his word that creates reality. So Jesus has no time for you or me or anyone to consider his ideas. He simply gives you the truth. See, Jesus is not just a teacher giving you ideas to wrestle with, giving you questions to engage. He is a preacher who puts the word right to you, confronts you where you are at with his word of truth. And that's why I think Jesus would be such a scary teacher. This man doesn't get to ask the question in a safe and comfortable learning environment. Jesus hears the safe question, and he turns around and just shatters the guy's world. He looks at him, and he looks at the whole crowd, and he says this. Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. In other words, it's as though Jesus is saying this. You let God worry about the number who will be saved. There are many who won't be saved. But you need to strive to enter through the narrow door because after all, what makes you so convinced that you are in? He preaches the question right back to the man. He preaches the question right back to the whole crowd. He preaches the question to you and to me today. And it's an important way of speaking. This is something I think we need to hear. And it's important for us to understand that he's directing this to us ourselves where we sit. Because I think a lot of times we're going to come to a passage like this and, and here's what happens. We hear it and we start to think about other people. We start to think about other groups. So you hear about this, how few will be saved, and immediately your mind goes, sometimes, uh, sort of personally and emotionally, it goes to somebody you love who doesn't go to church anymore. It goes to someone you love who, who has left the faith. And you begin to worry about them because they are clearly out and you start to wonder about what you must do to save them. Or you start to think about other groups, that religious faction over there, that, uh, that political side of the aisle over there. And you start to wonder if they're going to be in, if they're going to be out. But in all of these things, what we tend to do when we hear uh, this account is we don't think about ourselves, we compare ourselves with them, always assuming that we're the ones who are in. And they're the ones who are out. And we always sort of come out of this thing looking awfully righteous ourselves. We might call it justification by comparison. We're right, they're wrong. Lord, will those people ever be able to make it in? Because I thank you that I'm not like those sinners over there. But what I think Jesus wants us to realize today in his teaching is that no one is righteous by comparison. That is the problem with the Jews that Jesus was speaking with in those days. They thought they were in because of both who they were, God's elect chosen people, uh, and also who they weren't, Gentiles, tax collectors, sinners, 
impure, unclean, so on and so forth. They were the righteous ones. They weren't the ones who needed to repent. And you guys, we do this all the time. Like, we'll read this account and we'll be like, well, thank goodness I'm not like the Jews in that text, right? Now you are. <laughs> we think, hey, at least I'm not like those Jews. At least I'm not like those Muslims. I'm not like, you know, those on the godless left or the religious right. I'm not part of the woke LGBTQ community. I'm not MAGA. I'm not any of those things over there. I wonder, will they ever possibly be saved? At least I'm not like them. Or worse, maybe you think, I am one of them, therefore I'm in. And if we think we're going to enter the kingdom of God by pursuing salvation, by pursuing our righteousness, uh, by means of comparison, by who we are and by who we aren't, well, that's like trying to enter into a building by running headlong into a wall. There's no door there. You won't get in by comparison. See, Jesus, the teacher, Jesus, you might say, the preacher, the door, comes to us today and slams and locks any other entrance that might, we might think would get us into the kingdom. And he looks at you square in the eyes today, and he says to you, when it comes to salvation, there are many who will not be saved. And if you are pursuing your salvation by comparing yourself with them, if you are pursuing your salvation and trying to prove yourself by who you are and who you aren't, by what you do or by what you don't do, you're trying to find your salvation by getting to the front of the salvation line because of anything inside of you, you will find yourself locked outside. I know what you'll say, but I went to church, I quoted like this, I was a good person, I was a moral neighbor, I was a good citizen. I did everything the right way, and the master will say to you, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. Yo. See, what Jesus is saying to you and to me today is that there is only one door. There is only one way to be saved, and it is not by forcing yourself to the uh, front of the salvation line by proving who you are or who you aren't. You are not justified by comparison. You can only be saved by Jesus Christ alone. You can only be saved if Jesus Christ comes to you. You, dead and dying because of who you are, a sinner trusting in all the wrong things, dead and dying because of who you are not, a person who is righteous on your own. He comes to you and finds you overwhelmed and dying because of your sin and your unrighteousness and your self-pride and all of these things. He finds you like that post office lady found me at Walmart, overwhelmed by everything. And then he gives you the way out. He gives you the only salvation there is. Only He's better than the post office lady. He shows up. He says, I see you're going to buy all this stuff. Let me pay for all of it for you, and I'll take it out to your car, and it's all on me. He takes care of everything. He's the only way to be saved. And the only way to be saved is to trust him. Not by comparing yourself with others. He's the one who says, I'm the door and I will bring you in. I like to think about this parable, the way Jesus, or this parable, the way Jesus speaks today. Kind of like this. Uh, Jesus here is describing himself kind of like uh, as the owner, we might think in our, our day, uh, the owner of a nightclub. Can you talk about Jesus as owning a nightclub? Well, we will this morning. Um, 
and he's like the owner of the nightclub, and he's the bouncer. And you got all these people standing in line outside trying to get their way in, and they're all doing it by trying to impress the bouncer. They're trying to prove themselves to him by their righteousness, by their looks, by their accomplishments, by their performance. And they're comparing themselves with all the other people trying to show how they deserve to be in, and these people don't. Let me in, don't let them in. And they're all vying for position at the front of the line. Well, the bouncer is there listening to this, getting very bored, and he looks at the end of the line, and there he sees a homeless guy coming down off of something, begging in need, starving and dying. And he walks to the end of the line and he picks the guy up in his arms and he carries him inside. He shuts the door, gives that person the best seat in the whole club, feeds him and takes care of him and provides for him. That's how you get in, by being at the end of the line, by becoming a sinner. But you know, that's an interesting way of teaching. So let's stop teaching it. And now I'm just going to preach it. I'm just going to put that gospel right to you. Because the Lord Jesus finds you again here today. Gathering people from the north and the south and the east and the west. And here this morning, he's gathering people into his kingdom who have gathered in a sanctuary at the intersection of Lake Wolford Road and East Valley Park. And he finds you in your pride and in your sin. And he finds you in your guilt and in your shame and in your need. In your highs and in your lows. He finds you begging and in need. And he comes to you today and he scoops you up in his arms. And he throws you over his shoulder. And he laughs for joy at seeing you here. And he gets your sin and your filth all over himself. And he washes you clean with his blood. And he brings you now to the rail where he can feed you. Here he gives you a seat at his meal. You will eat his, blood, eat his body and drink his blood for the forgiveness of your sins and sustaining of your faith into life everlasting. See, here's the good news for you today. Jesus has found you. And he has made you his own. And he has carried you through the door. Not because of who you are. Not because of who you aren't. Because he loves you. And he died for you. Amen. We pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, again, that you sent your Son, Jesus, to seek out sinners like us. But sometimes we find ourselves at the back of the line, broken and in need. Sometimes we find ourselves fighting to be in the front of the line, trying to prove our own righteousness by putting others down. Lord, have mercy on us. Forgive us for all of us. And we pray now that you would bring us to your table. Will you grant us your mercy and forgiveness? We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.